Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition—it's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. Everybody, welcome back. This is episode two of the Tech in Shanghai podcast,、uh, the show dedicated to bringing you the people of the Shanghai startup scene.、Uh, we, our intention is to give a little bit of insight about what's going on here、uh, on the ground、uh, in one of the most dynamic、uh, places in the world in the technology and startup scene.、Um, I'm your host, John Vallis. Last week, we had、um, Alex Duncan from Kwo. Uh, with some really interesting stories about what's going on in the social media market here, and how they onboard clients from foreign companies、um, and help them break through into the social media market here. So, if you'd like、uh, to hear more about what Kwo is doing here, you can certainly check out、uh, episode one.、Um, but today we have、uh, Liam Winston here with us of Mobile Now Group.、Uh, Mobile Now is a full-service、uh, mobile development company. That's right. Yeah. Um, so Liam, thanks for coming on the show. You're most welcome. It's a lovely Shanghai day here today. No pollution. Really hot. Really sunny. So、uh, yeah, great day to be in a studio. Exactly. <laughs>、um, so Liam,、uh, I've I've d- done a little research on、uh, Mobile Now Group, but I'm never the best one to、uh, give a description of kind of what you guys do. So why don't you let us know what you do, who you do it for, and the status of the company? Sure.、Um, I guess we we still consider still consider ourselves a startup. Even though we've been up and running for、uh, for nearly five years now,、mm-hmm. uh, we set up、uh, here in Shanghai in 2009, and we focus purely on the mobile space. So、um, anything that's really got a mobile focus, that's our area. We don't necessarily do too much web. We don't do too much social. It's really a straight straight mobile play.、Um, so typically, clients engage us to create、um, custom or bespoke apps as well as responsive websites, and increasingly、uh, WeChat mobile deployments as well. Um, so we've probably, in our four and a half five years, probably deployed about nearly fifty projects now、um, across the board for a combination of、uh, multinationals, local 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 entities as well,、um, covering all all, all aspects of、um, of mobile.、Cool. Uh, we have a team of nearly thirty people with our main office here in Shanghai and a second office in、uh, in Changsha and Hunan,、mm-hmm. and we also keep an office down in Singapore as well. Right. I meant to ask you about that. I, I noticed on your website you do have a, an office in Changsha and Singapore.、Yeah. Singapore is a bit more understandable, but、yeah. for people that aren't familiar with China,、yeah. Changsha is what we'd call a, a second-tier city. <laughs> yes.、Um, so I wanted to ask you、uh, before we got going, why is it that、uh, Mobile Now is is in Changsha? Okay.、Um, I mean, we we sometimes do get asked that question. So I agree, it's maybe mo- not the most、uh, usual place for a, for a startup to set up.、Um, but in essence, I guess we we saw we saw a couple of things. Firstly, Changsha has a very good access to to great universities. So from a talent perspective, it's、uh, it's, it's it's very good down there. Secondly, I think we were looking to maybe hedge our bets a little bit and not have everything kind of placed in in in, in Shanghai.、Um, obviously, there's、uh, I guess there's. To some extent, increased costs in terms of having everything everything in Shanghai, particularly、mm-hmm. as, it, as it increases. Not saying that、uh, Changsha is cheap, but it gives us gives us an alternative.、Um, we tend to get pretty good loyalty from our from 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 the guys down there, which I think is maybe maybe less evident in in, in a you know an international city like Shanghai.、Um, so they, those would probably be the two reasons reasons why we invested in there in the first place. And to date, it's been working very well for us. Right. And do you personally have to go to Changsha quite a bit? I am due to go in the, in the next couple of months. It's normally my partner Thomas that tends to tends to go down there more、mm-hmm. often.、Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting to kind of、uh, I guess to get out a little bit out of your comfort zone from、uh, from the international city that sh- is Shanghai、right. down to down to.、Um, Uh, s- somewhere a little less developed, but、uh, with huge potential. Right. I mean, if it's if it's, an, I've never been to Changsha myself, but I've been to a lot of second tier、mm. cities here in China, and、uh, I mean, of course, the story is the same almost everywhere. Just、mm-hmm. massive projects、mm-hmm. everywhere, building, you know, very nice infrastructure and、mm-hmm. amenities,、uh, but still lacking kind of that. International cosmopolitan touch that maybe Shanghai exclusively has a hold on. No, for sure. I mean, I think that's a very fair assessment. I think, I think、uh, my colleague tells me there's maybe、uh, maybe less than a hundred Laowais down there, and they all tend to、uh, <laughs> congregate in one particular bar on a Friday evening, and pretty much everyone knows everyone, which、um, you know you certainly couldn't say for a place like Shanghai. But、uh, equally, that's also quite refreshing as well, right?、Um, to kind of to kind of get away and see、uh, see see another side of things, right? Yeah, I, l- I lived in Dalian for a while. And,、ah, okay.、Uh, So similar thing there.、Mm. Where, where you know it wears after a little while, seeing the same、mm. faces at the same places, but、uh, certainly nice to change it up.、Mm. 
now, Liam, I noticed on the website as well that uh, you guys were establishing 090909. Yes. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Coincidentally, the day before I arrived in China. Ah. Um, and I also noticed there that you, you have, for the things that you've developed for your clients, uh, apps and uh, mobile services, you've got 5, 000, or 5 million downloads. Is yeah, cumulative. So I think we've we've undertaken uh, we undertake I guess two types of projects. Um, the majority of what we do is commissioned work. So that would be where a corporate comes to us and say we need some assistance with a mobile solution, and we would help them implement an app or a um, or a responsive site or WeChat something like that. Mm -hmm. Additionally, we've also undertaken a few of our own projects. Um, we refer to them more as IP initiatives. So they're really kind of a, you know something we do we do ourselves. So we've created a few games in that space. Games that have become um, become number one games in China. Um, one was which was Super Ball Escape. Uh, we've also created uh, more of utility apps. Uh, one called uh, Data Data TA, which mm. was like a photo booth app, which has had like two million plus downloads, wow. which is you know reasonably good. Sure. Um, I guess numbers always seem to get not, not inflated, but they seem to. If you tell that to someone in the West, they go two million downloads. Like, wow! But I guess so. Uh, you get a bit more grounded in China, where two million downloads is significant, but it's not. It's not super huge. Right now, is that? I mean, I'm curious, is that because not only the size of the market, but is the Chinese social media and game market more fickle than in the West? I mean, uh, is it very transient or, you know? There's definitely idiosyncrasies that are, that are pertinent to the Chinese market that we, mm -hmm. don't, see, we don't see in the West. Um, for example, I guess there's less of a tendency for um, Chinese mobile users to want to pay for content, mm -hmm. uh, which is, no, we're not complaining. That's just the way it is. So I think uh, you tend to have to build your strategies that way mm -hmm. to, take, to, take, to take that in mind. Um, but, you know, as the Chinese mobile market becomes, the, in essence, the biggest market in the world, I think um, there's less of, a, less of a focus in terms of looking, looking to the West to see what's happening because it's all happening here. And we know you obviously see that in very, very, very many aspects of, uh, of, of Chinese way of doing things, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's mobile, everything like that. It's now all happening here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very much um, increasingly that the West will look to the East to look for in initiatives and trends as well. Right. So is that part of the reason or the, the full reason why mobile now is here in China? Because you want to take advantage of the Chinese market and design things for uh, the Chinese market? That's very. I mean, a very good question. Um, I guess we set up here initially in that uh, my partner Thomas was was working in um, in Beijing at the time mm -hmm. uh, and had recently moved to Shanghai. I'd also spent a fair bit of time in China, China previously, so China just seemed like the natural place to set up. Right. Um, it was also at the same time when iPhone had just come out, so it was it was part of I guess of the the way the market was evolving away from. Um, I guess the early the early uh, smartphones, which are primarily Nokia based. I mean, Thomas very much saw the the advent of the iPhone landing as you know just a revolutionising a revolutionary opportunity in terms of what was happening in the mobile space, and I think he's been been quite rightly borne out in that. Mm -hmm. So that was a real basis for for being here in China. Um, in terms of how it's evolved and how we saw the market, we did initially think that we were doing a lot of offshore work, bringing it into China. So you know, products from North America, products from Europe coming in, and yes, we we do we do do um, a reasonable amount of those projects. But um, I think the thing that's really surprised us the most is the amount of domestic work we've done here in China. That's really really exceeded our expectations. Mm -hmm. um, now I think the reasons for that are for that are a couple of couple of fold. Um, I think uh, China as a market is is very very um, aggressive to embrace new technology, and uh, mobile laws comes to the comes to the fore for there. I think also given the amount of um, given the amount of media budgets we see here in China, um, the amount that's required maybe for doing production for uh, for a mobile uh, platform isn't so much as maybe you see in a in a less developed or a or a less mass market. Um, so those are probably th probably a couple of reasons why we see we see mobile been really really pushed here here domestically. Right. I mean, it's very interesting to observe the state of the mobile market in China. I mean, mm. it seems like every other day you're reading a headline. Whether it's about uh, how many people have smartphones mm. or how much they're engaging in them, mm. how much time is spent on them. I mean, every metric in the market seems to be world leading, and, and you mm -hmm. read them on a constant basis. Uh, now, you mentioned that Mobile Now uh, works with outside clients, but also you, you have your own in house development arm. Yes. And, and you, you put out apps through that. Yes, I mean, well. I, I, uh, I mean, we develop everything, everything ourselves in-house, whether, uh, whether it's iOS development, Android development, HTML5 development, covering a responsive and also WeChat. Um, I'd probably say the amount of um, commissioned work in terms of with, uh, with uh, external clients is probably 80 or 90%. 
Um, and then probably some of our own initiatives we cover off maybe 10, 15%. Right. Um, it's one of those classic cliches for, a, for, I guess, for a startup. If there's someone willing to pay for your work, you tend to do more of that, right. even though you'd really probably want to do more of your own initiatives. Sure. So I think when we first started up, we were doing a lot more of our own initiatives work, uh, initiative work, but that does tend to tend to uh, burn down your startup capital pretty quickly. Right. So you end up kind of having to do the maths on that and getting the balance between the two. So I think I think we've got to a point now where we've um, got a reasonably comfortable equilibrium. Uh, we do also do a fair amount of work with entrepreneurs. So sometimes we'll uh, we'll partner with them from a um, I guess from a equity setup, set um, and I guess that keeps us pretty much in the in the in the, in the entrepreneurial game as well as in maybe the the, the more straightforward uh, commissioned work. Right. Um, now, you know, we, we were talking about the mobile Chinese market a second mm -hmm. ago. Is I mean, I've, one of the amazing thing, things about China is that mm -hmm. there's such a mobile uh, dense market. You know, mm -hmm. because a lot of the the consumers in this market didn't have access to PCs and desktop. Yep. Uh, not even, you know, not so many years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of just when they were entering the market, smartphones were mm -hmm. available and they've mm -hmm. really, you know, taken them on uh, vigorously. Yeah. Is that why you guys decided to focus primarily on mobile because you were in the China market specifically or was it your area of expertise or... Um, I think I think the leapfrog, leapfrog effect that you talk of is you know it's, it's, it's so borne out here in China and we obviously see that in a few other markets but maybe not as aggressively. Mm -hmm. I think uh, India, for example, sees the same sort of thing where people's first um, web experiences via their mobile devices, and it's, it's very very true here in China. I think I think the reason for the focus for us in China was more because we were already here um, and we, we 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 saw it both as a potential for a, for a domestic market and also for, for to have as a base for asia mm -hmm. i think it may be um, you know maybe 10 15 years ago particularly when maybe i first moved to asia myself the classic hubs for for anyone to set up were either hong kong or singapore right. um, i'm not saying those days are gone but uh, i think for any startup really wanting to come to asia now to me, Delhi and Shanghai is pretty much where it's happening. Right. Depending on where, you, where, you're, where your focus, in, focus is here. I think Hong Kong and Singapore provide a relatively easy foot in, mm -hmm. but in terms of wanting to be where the action is, it makes sense to either be uh, in the heart of it here in China or in the heart of it in India. Right, and that, that's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You know, the, the economic centers and the, the, the future economic centers mm -hmm. of Asia are certainly the ones you just mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, Shanghai being top among them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But many people are familiar with the obstacles to, as you said, mm. setting up in, mm. in mainland China versus mm. Hong Kong versus Singapore mm. versus Tokyo mm. versus other centers. Mm -hmm. So can you give us a little insight, speak to the challenges that are present here that perhaps wouldn't be in Hong Kong and, and I guess a little more on why you endure them? Um it's quite interesting. When I, when I, I moved, to, moved to Hong Kong initially in uh, 1993, and I was actually working for a, for a publishing company. And one of their first uh, big, um, big successes was a, was a publication or a book called The Life and Death of a Joint Venture in China. Um, and in those days, in the early 90s, that was the only way you could really set up in China. It had to be a JV. You had to have that partnership. Mm -hmm. I think through the progression of the, the WAFI setup in terms of wholly owned foreign enterprise, that's definitely made setup in China a little bit easier. Uh, not saying it's as easy as uh, Singapore. Like, for example, in Singapore, you can, in essence, probably set up a company within a day or two, most of the work done online. Mm -hmm. um, so for, when we set up our WAFI here, a lot of paperwork. Um, but in essence, it's something you have to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, I guess it, it impacts your, your cycle in terms of how quickly up and running you can get. So you could go to Hong Kong, get set up in a couple of months, get the lie of the land in Hong Kong, probably then work out all the actions north of the border, mm -hmm. then progress north of the border. Um, or you could take, the, take the, the deeper plunge, jump into China, have all the hassle and the bureaucracy, or the relative hassle and the bureaucracy, mm -hmm. but get to the action a little bit quicker. Right. So I think it's, I mean, uh, it kind of depends, I guess, on the, on the individuals involved or the, or the company itself and how maybe aggressive they want to be to kind of get to, get, to, um, get, get to the action, so to speak. Right. Now, another aspect of setting up in, in Shanghai and in China, mm -hmm. um, previously, you know, a lot of foreign companies set up in China, whether it be manufacturing or services mm -hmm. or technology, mm -hmm. because it was so cost effective. But mm -hmm. over the last five years, especially, mm -hmm. we've seen that rapidly evaporate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so how has that affected uh, your company? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you set up here in 2009. Since that time, you know, costs have risen dramatically mm -hmm. in rent and mm -hmm. uh, in minimum wage or mm -hmm. wages in general. Mm -hmm. So how has that you know, put pressure, if any, on uh, on mobile now. Um, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right in terms of uh, particularly the tier one cities are no longer the the cost effective um, opportunities they were maybe maybe eight ten years ago. Um, 
fortunately, they probably haven't reached the same sort of um, cost parameters as a, as a, as a Hong Kong or, or a Singapore. So still, still reasonably, reasonably okay. Um, I mean, it's challenging. I mean, typically when we're when we're conducting reviews with uh, with it with our employees, most people are asking for a fairly a fairly healthy um, increase, mm-hmm. not the sort of thing that might be toler- tolerated uh, certainly in the West. Right. So I think I think that has to be factored in, in terms of how you price your product, um, and I guess uh, uh, you need to get a balance between I think managing your 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 cost, your talent, and your resource um, versus. Versus what's what's viable for a client to pay. Mm-hmm. So it's really just just balancing those two. Now is that I mean basically what you're <laughs> saying is can you can you pass on the cost of that to your customers via the service you provide? And are are the majority of your customers outside of China or multinationals that may have a presence <coughs> in China but uh, are fa- are based outside of China? Um, to some extent, we, we we can pass those costs on in terms of our um, in terms of our client setup. Most of our clients would be would be Singapore, would be uh, China-based. Now there may well be a, um, a multinational based here in China, or there may be a, a local entity. So yeah, we have a combination between international and uh, and local entities based here in China. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one of the things, uh, just to backtrack a bit, I wanted to ask you a bit earlier, but uh, we sure. we, we kind of went went through it. You mentioned that uh, Mobile Now does apps and games. Yes. Uh, so for people that are are kind of in that space and in that industry. Um, can you give a little insight as to, you know, what uh, factors you assess to make a decision to go with an app or a game? Is it purely you have inspiration and an idea and you run with it and you think it'll be successful in the market? Are there ways that you test the different ideas? And a little more broadly, the app market, you know, the business app, the utility market, utilitarian market yeah. versus the gaming market in terms of how you can monetize them, in terms of the downloads. Can you can you shed a little light on that? Sure. I mean, I'll, I'll probably give it to you from maybe from maybe two angles. One would be from a um, one would be from a commissioned work perspective. This would be like, for example, a um, a multinational approaching us and deciding they want to they want to do something from a mobile perspective. Now, it really would depend on what the what their objectives were in terms of what they wanted to achieve. Um, that would give a good idea in terms of what would be the most pertinent solution to put in place. So. Generally, if it's um, if it's if it's straight information that's been looking to part be passed on to a client, then a utility app makes the most sense. If it's maybe looking at um, a deeper engagement, so maybe looking to to assist with brand awareness, then considering a game it would make a lot of sense. We um, probably about a year ago we did a project for uh, for Zespri, which is the um, the holding company that sits behind Kiwi Fruit. So Kiwi Fruit were relatively new to China, um, and they really wanted to raise brand awareness. So the goal there was their target audience is young mothers. And we know from, uh, from, from the data that the most common thing that young mothers do on the phone is play games. And they really like the kind of casual games. So for, um, for Zespri, we decided to embark upon a game, um, a vertical farming game, which was really about um, allowing young mothers to understand um, what Zespri was, that it was um, you know, what, what a kiwi fruit is, fruit, mm. fruit is which is quite uh, relatively new to the China market. But also to demonstrate the nutritional benefits of that, so that ne- the next time they're maybe down at the supermarket, they give consideration to to purchasing a kiwi fruit. So that's, I guess, the softer sell, not so not so direct. But in, in that scenario, a game could be can be can be can be perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's um, if it's say maybe a a shopping a shopping mall destination, then clearly it probably lends itself more towards the utility app, where it's like you know. This is, these are all our stores within our within our shopping destination. This is the um, the types of product they sell, and it's more more informational. So right. I guess it's informational functional versus kind of branding and maybe awareness and a soft sell would decide which way you would go. Right. Okay. And in general, the the, the two different markets yeah. in terms of monetization, yeah. specifically within China, yeah. what what are the similarities or differences between the two? I guess I guess it's 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 a little bit different for. Um, for for when brands are are, enter, are entering a space because they're not necessarily driven by a monetization opportunity they're they're primarily being driven by by awareness mm-hmm. so for them it's making sure enough of their um, customers or potential customers are downloading the game been engaged on the game and they're they're not so worried about um you know having to monetize or having to you know repay their investment on the game because mm-hmm. it's really really a, bra- a brand initiative i see um I think when when you look at look at a pure a dedicated gaming perspective, it's it's a much more it's a much more um, complex and 
and challenging route to markets. And we've obviously done that for a few of our games. Um, a couple of our games have got very high in the app store. So there's definitely definitely dynamics around that. Um, I mean, one, one typical one, for example, is that the is that the growth period and the opportunity to to really really accelerate and snowball is very very finite. In fact, very short. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that um, that um, efforts, marketing efforts, are are focused on the first couple of days, so that the number of downloads can start to progress. So you get visibility in the app stores. You start to then get organic growth. If it's very much a a kind of slow gradual push, then you're going to miss the opportunity. Right. And and mobile now is end to end, right? You, end to you, you end. You develop yeah. the product, you yeah. promote it, you provide analytics or feedback. Provide I, analytics. I mean, we do everything apart from buy media, right? Um, because we're, I guess, we focus primarily in the, in the mobile space. Mm -hmm. The media buying entities or media buying agencies are a better place to do that. Right. Often we will advise them in terms of what would be the most opportune channels to consider. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we do we do end to end from upfront consultancy through to development through to optimization, analytics, review, etc. Right. And I'm just wondering within China what you know when you prom when you all the development work is done yeah how do you promote uh your products for your clients yeah in china through the the whether they be social media or national yeah. media whatever channels exist how do you do that it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a very good it's a, it's a very good question and, and and something that we do have to spend a fair amount of time um advising our clients to focus upon because mm -hmm. sometimes i guess from the from the initial um, discussions it's very much okay we need to launch this mobile platform, and it's all about the mobile platform, which, which you know, there, there does need to be that amount of focus on it. However, there also needs to be almost um, an equal amount of focus on the actual launch of the product itself. Um, when we, we use the, ad the adage, you could have the, the, the most fantastic app in the world, but if no one knows about it, no one downloads it. Sure, yeah. So the, the, the marketing or the promotion of a, or an app or a service or whatever it is is very important. And from that perspective, it, I guess it's I guess similar to many other platforms you're looking at. Um, three particular channels to utilize in terms of your own media, in terms of your own social channels. Mm -hmm. Plus, if it's feasible, paid media. I mean, paid media can work, work very well. Mm -hmm. um, and going back to the uh, Zespri case that I referenced earlier, that was an important aspect to it. Mm -hmm. However, as a fairly big brand, having your own social networks, having your own, you know, own um, web, web, web channels, you can do a lot from that. So there doesn't necessarily need to be a financial commitment in terms of paid media, mm -hmm. but you do need to work your channels very well together to create that impetus to drive downloads. Right, right. And what, what's uh, MobileNow's interaction and, and usage of social media specifically in China? Because it's such a hot topic right now. There's so much buzz around social media. Yeah. And of course, recent events in the US with Alibaba and JD has just shed more, uh, brought more attention to yeah. everything that's going on in the tech industry and yeah. mobile industry in China. So yeah. how do you guys interact with Chinese social media? It's, I mean, because to me, it seems like such a quickly shifting market things get yes. developed iterated and launched so quickly yeah. they get adopted so quickly but they could also get left and and, and yeah, move yeah. on to the next one so yeah. quickly so how do you guys first of all approach uh, the chinese social media market yeah. how do you make your decisions and how do you deal with that change that goes on in it i guess i guess our interaction with social is from is from two perspectives um firstly and you know going back to what we we're talking we're talking about earlier in terms of um promotional activity it's very important to obviously leverage um leverage channels there mm -hmm. um, and they're they're obviously specific chinese channels um from that perspective it's really a matter of um, of working with the, with the client and maybe going through the identification of key opinion leaders that will have a lot of influence on a particular channel mm -hmm. and maybe reaching out to them by way of influence and influence and their influencers um so that's probably a typical way, way to work that most brands brands would interact with it mm -hmm. probably the more the more interesting side of social for us is where where social has become a mobile platform so um I guess back in the day when, when brands were going mobile, the only re real way to go mobile was creation of an app. Um, increasingly, the second option that's come to the fore has been the creation of a responsive website, another viable way, 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 way to mobilize, mobilize your platform. Uh, now, the third one that's really much come to the fore in the last, in the last probably six months is, um, is enhanced SNS, which in essence looks, is looking to is looking at ways that one can build out of, say, the WeChat platform. Mm -hmm. So WeChat almost, or WeChat in essence, through through the way it's been opened up by Tencent, in essence, almost allows you to create a a microsite within the WeChat platform. So that's making it a very a very powerful tool, a very powerful um, destination that, uh, that brands can now engage with their consumers via the WeChat channel. So we have increasingly, particularly in 2014, been doing a lot more a lot more work in the WeChat space as we've built out particular functionality within that WeChat space. Um, I totally agree that you know 
sometimes only certain platforms are flavored in a month and you never know you know in six months 12 months 18 months time what's going to come come down the line mm -hmm. i mean we've seen we've seen weibo kind of come up and now tail off we've seen seen wechat kind of almost take over its mantle we don't know we don't know what's around the corner just yet right. so i think i think for our brands was very much advising them to make the most of what's available at that at, at that particular time but also to be aware of um what potentially is coming coming up coming Changing up and coming before exactly right um it, it just as an aside it, it seems yeah, i can get your take on this it seems in the Western tech and, and, and mobile markets, there's, there's specific, you know, very, very specific solutions. And then perhaps that's because founders and entrepreneurs have always been advised so uh, adamantly to focus on a single problem and solve that problem. Yes. And as a result, you have a lot of uh, different services and different products, yes. but they're all uh, by different companies. Yes. And what seems very interesting in the Chinese mobile and, and, and tech market uh, especially in relation to WeChat, which is, mm. is surging in popularity mm. and quickly becoming the de facto mm. social media avenue mm. in China, is that it offers seemingly everything. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it does voice messaging, it does profiles, it does payments, mm -hmm. it does, you know, so many different things that, from my perspective in the West, we might see uh, all being done by different companies. Yeah. Um, do you think that's because WeChat was launched and had such a huge force and, and uh, financial capacity and, and intellectual capacity behind it in, in, you know, in being a 10 cent yeah. property yeah. versus being a startup from you know, a couple kids in a, in a basement or garage? No, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, sometimes you can almost look at, look at the way that um, functionality has been created on platforms here in China and kind of think it's, this is some sort of mismatch of, you know, of you know eBay and you know number number of diff different other things, but I think probably the the more the probably fairer way to look at it is that a lot of the platforms here here in Tencent in particular they've looked at maybe what's the best bits of this, what's the best bits of that, mm -hmm. let's bring them all together and put them on a single platform. Right. And I think um, I think also also to your point, as they've gained more and more momentum, as they've got critical mass, as they've got you know three, four, five hundred million users, they've kind of thought, why don't we add this on? Why don't we add that, add that mm -hmm. on? It's, it's an, I mean it's a natural evolution and. Um, I think it's it's very much just um, indicating that you know the West should really be looking east and vice versa these days. Right. I mean, it's such a funny change in dynamic because, of mm. course, China's approach, uh, you know, during the, the early phase of their development, as is the case in, in many developing countries, is take what works elsewhere, mm -hmm. make it your own, mm -hmm. you know, and, and mm -hmm. produce in that way. And like you just mentioned, you know, perhaps that was the initial approach behind a lot of these social media outlets in China, mm -hmm. especially when uh, you know uh, many social media platforms from the West have been blocked. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's you know basically been a, a ripe market, and mm -hmm. all they had to really do was copy some functionality. Mm -hmm. But now, as you mentioned, what it seems is they're in, they're really innovating. You know, mm -hmm. they're bringing many different uh, you know functions together mm -hmm. and wrapping them up in, uh, under one roof essentially, and providing uh, you know apps and and services that you know, really, by comparison, are, are, are in some cases superior to their Western counterparts mm -hmm. and certainly seem to have a lot of momentum behind them. Mm. Now th I mean, I think what we're also starting to see is that, um, you know, the entities here in China have got, something, have got something very powerful to work for the China market. Now they're looking, you know, beyond these shores in terms of way ways of growing that. So we start to see kind of WeChat probably gain a lot more momentum in Southeast Asia. Mm -hmm. um, still, if I talk to people in Europe and stuff like that, they probably really haven't got much of an idea of what it is. They're still sitting on WhatsApp. Um, but yeah, very much, I think, dominated growing in China and now pushing, pushing, pushing uh, eastwards and westwards in, in any which way. Um, maybe not, not that dissimilar from uh, handset, handset manufacturer Xiaomi mm -hmm. in terms of done a fantastic job here in China. Right. Now they're looking to pretty much push into a lot of Southeast Asia, into Europe, because they just have such a compelling proposition. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's just such an amazing story. Mm. The reason why we have a podcast like this, because what, it doesn't really matter your industry. You know, China is so... Uh, there's so much energy, so much capital, so many people behind yes. doing so many different things yeah. that you know they just they want to get involved. It's such a competitive market domestically. Yeah. It means all the best rise to the top. Yep. And what we're seeing now, I think, is what you were just saying is they're kind of now real getting to the point where they can compete on the yes. global market. You know exactly. Um, and it's uh, very exciting times. I mean, I know for myself, I'm an avid promoter of WeChat with my friends back home. Yeah. Of course, because I, I, I don't access Twitter much here and things yeah. like that, so I, I have to use uh, the Chinese social media platforms. But also because, you know, I, I find it 
very useful, very yep. functional. So sure. I, I implore them to get on, and once they do, they're like, "Wow, <laughs> wow I've never this. Where, where did this come from? This yeah. is amazing." It's yeah. Like, yeah, that's that's kind of some of the things China's doing. So very interesting. Um, before we get on to a few Shanghai related things, yeah, um, you mentioned with uh, the Zespri uh, example, yeah. uh, the client you work with, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned that you developed a game for them to basically engage and create some awareness with their target market, which yeah. was you know housewives, young mothers, and yeah. mothers and stuff, yeah, um, which is you know for for people that don't know, is a huge part of pretty much all product launches and product developments and market entrance here in China mm-hmm. is is educating uh, and generating awareness f- uh, with the consumer. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that's true everywhere, but especially in China, if you walk into a grocery store, you walk into a retail location, education is a huge part of, of the retail experience here, whether it's online or offline. Mm-hmm. Reason being, of course, is, again, uh, you know, the Chinese consumer market uh, hasn't you know, for a long time did not have access to a lot of the goods and services that they are now gaining access to. Mm-hmm. As a result, you know, unlike us in the West, you know, who we grew up with certain products and services and companies and brands, yeah. we don't need to be educated about them. Here, you know, a whole, a huge par- uh, portion of the, the demographic in the market did not have uh, experience with a lot of these brands prior. So education is a huge part of that. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, for mobile now, in terms of the clients that approach you to to uh, to work with you guys, how much of of the, the clients you work, how many of the clients that you work with have that intention? And uh, you know that's what, why they want to work with you guys. I think I think there's there's definitely a few examples of um, of how we worked worked in uh, worked in that space. For example, um, we worked with um, Chinese wine connoisseur uh, Chantal Shi, um, and what she was aiming to do was to, I guess. A, I guess recognizing that I think China's now become the sixth biggest wine consumer market in the world or some something you know, a pretty impressive statistic like that. Um, but she, we basically worked with her on a on a, a wine appreciation app, which is very much looking to looking to focus on the on the Chinese uh, wine consumer mm-hmm. and help them to better understand, I guess, the culture and the background of the French vineyards, something that she's very well versed upon. So it was um, doing everything from, you know, having a pronunciation guide in terms of how you should pronounce a particular chateau to now need to make meeting or, or tasting notes on a particular a particular vintage. But really looking at at educating the the um, the Chinese wine wine, wine consumer mm-hmm. as they as I guess, you know, wine becomes more and more influential within the marketplace. Right. People want to want to know a bit more about it. So education is absolutely absolutely key. Right. Um, one other example we also um, also is very close to that is we also work with uh, with Greenpeace. And this was to create a, um, we called it edutainment. So it's kind of, you know, a fun way of uh, educating people. Mm-hmm. But it's basically to make consumers aware of the, um, not the risk, but more or less the existence of genetically modified foods. Mm-hmm. So basically, we created a little game where they, they fed a monster a particular food or a particular brand, whether it's a Nestle, whether it's a, you know, a uh, beer or something like that, and depending on how the monster reacted, it was de- he was denoted whether it was GM modified or not. So instantly, the, the the consumer then started to have an appreciation of 400 different brands, which were genetically modified and which weren't. So wh- when they then next went to the supermarket, they could make a I guess a qualified choice about whether they wanted to buy GM or not. Interesting. So yeah. Interesting. Um, now, one thing before we go on. In China, censorship is obviously an issue mm-hmm. um, for some types of businesses more than others. Mm-hmm. Has you know what's been Mobile Now's experience with censorship? Have you had to confront it? You know, in what ways have uh, have you dealt I'd with that pr- issue? <laughs> Ironically, I'd probably say the the the, the toughest encounters we've had for censorship, and I use that in a very broad term, mm-hmm. have been maybe with maybe been with Apple rather than with Chinese entities. Really? Because obviously, for for any app that needs to go through approval, it has to it has to be vetted by Apple to make sure it's okay. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we've had to make minor tweaks from that. That's more from a technical perspective than you know than a, than a content perspective. Right. But um, no, we haven't really run into into any particular challenges from a, from a, bu- a bureaucracy and uh, an approval perspective here in right. China. But then I also think we're probably not doing anything that would tend to be maybe in the, in the risk zone from that perspective as well. Right. Yeah, that, that, I, that's kind of the impression I got from... Mm. You know, from my understanding of what mobile now does, but I had to ask because no, no, being in the social space and development space, mobile mm. space in China, typically some you know people will encounter at least some form mm. of it. Um, so let's let's move on a bit now to a, l- a little more fun conversation uh, regarding Shanghai. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that, of course, mobile now is, is, <laughs> is not interesting, but every everyone has their Shanghai stories. It's a 
you know, it's a, a very interesting city to live in, yeah. especially at this point in time in its history. I mean, yeah. as we've been discussing throughout this show, there's so much going on. I mean, when, when I go home, people ask me, you know, why I live here. And occasionally I scratch my head. Of course, we all have those China days. But, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm being honest, my answer is generally the energy. And, the, mm-hmm. and when I say that, I mean, there's just so much going on. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what your industry is. Is there's there's capital, there's people, there's there's you know there's education, there's there's energy behind everything, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that means that you live in a very vibrant environment where mm-hmm. where things are kicking off all the time. And you're never short of things to do, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's a especially by Chinese standards and even global standards, it's a fairly convenient city. You know, mm-hmm. the, the metro is great, the road system is great, um, and it just seems like uh, it, it's got that that charm about it that mm-hmm. you know. That all all the economic and financial and ambition related reasons why you know many foreigners come here, yeah. Coupled with you know just it's got that essence, that character, that old colonial kind of vibe that mm-hmm. makes it a very interesting time right now for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on it? No, I'm, I'd agree with you wholeheartedly from a, from an energy perspective, and I'm maybe probably showing my age here a little bit, but um, I think I think the the kind of the scene or the energy that you see now in Shanghai is very reminiscent of. Um, of Hong Kong in the kind of early to mid nineties, mm-hmm. um, that was probably the first place I lived in Asia, and there was definitely a buzz that I was like was quite shocked at as soon as as soon as I'd I landed there from Europe. Um, and I think I think Shanghai maintains that it maintains that um, that cosmopolitan nature. Um, there's definitely energy. I mean, I spend a fair bit of my time in in Singapore, mm-hmm. and I see that pretty much every time I come back to back 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 up here to Shanghai. There is there is that buzz, whichever aspects of uh, of Shanghai life you look upon. Right. And what's the difference between Shanghai and Singapore? I mean, just for for interested, you know, listeners. Uh, um, I mean, Singapore is often viewed as as being easy Asia, and it certainly is that. Mm-hmm. You can get into a taxi, not need to use your bad Mandarin to get around. <laughs> uh, you can be pretty sure you'll get to a particular t- a place at a particular time. Um, but I guess from a the I guess easy is op- often synonymous with maybe a little bit boring. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's a bit harsh on Singapore. It's definitely reinvented itself in the last uh, in the last kind of five to se- five to seven years. But it's, it's I guess there are there are there are opposites from uh, for, from China. Right. Maybe easier lifestyle, easier to get around. Not so much energy. Maybe not so much not so much buzz. Um, Pollution's a little bit better. I've heard uh, it's a little less laissez-faire <laughs> than Shanghai. You yeah. know, there's uh, yeah. qu- there's uh, fairly strict restrictions on uh, certain behavior. We've all heard the chewing gum example. Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 kind of kind of kind of weird. I think it's people's probably first uh, first take on on Singapore's no chewing gum or no 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 crossing roads or jaywalking. But um, right. There's, it's, it's it's not as bad as one might think. Definitely, right. it's it's definitely uh left and definitely loosened itself a little bit in the so last few years. So, when did you arrive in Shanghai? What year? I first came to Shanghai probably as a tourist in '95. Uh, okay, and then I've probably been coming here professionally since the early 2000s. Wow, I mean, it's too broad of a question for me to ask what's changed, but can you give us, you know, can you highlight a couple things that in your mind have really dramatically changed? Maybe some for the the good, some for the some for the worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think when um, when uh, when coming here first time, um, you know, that was when China really hadn't opened up them that much at all. Um, and I keep meaning to dig out some old photos from those days and try try to try to match that back against 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 places now. So it's you know, in those days there wasn't you know there wasn't really so much cafes or anything like that, anything like that to go to. Uh, if you wanted Western food, you pretty much had to go to a KFC or something like something like that. Right. So uh, that's that that's changed. Uh, I guess as, as China has 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 opened up, uh, which I think is generally generally a good thing in terms of having made having made um, things a lot more cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. Definitely easier to get around. Uh, I remember kind of having to go to train stations at a certain time on a certain day to a certain platform to ask to a particular certain place. And if you weren't there, it's kind of may I'll come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So that there's definitely an ease of ease of kind of kind of getting around so i think i think in general things have things have probably improved i guess you know the only downside i think is is the way that uh we pretty much look at the aqi index every day in terms of what we're going to do that's the probably the main main downside and is there a big difference from 95 early 2000s to now in that regard i guess from a personal perspective and again maybe this is probably also talks about the advent of mobile didn't really even think about it in those days. Right. I'm not saying it was uh, glorious blue skies every day, but sure. you just didn't really, it didn't really hit the radar so much. Right. I, to me, I only really have a recollection of um, been starting to worry about haze, probably, and this is more Beijing centric, and the run up to the run up to the Olympics. That's when probably, um, probably, you know, 
haze or fog, as it was called in those days, came, came to the fore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think pretty much since then, it's been on everyone's radar. And because we're now all mobilized, we pretty much look at it every day to see how things are. Right. And do you do anything in particular to combat the effects? I mean, do you wear a mask? Do you do the, the air filters in the home? I mean, how do you, how do you push back that, uh, that force? <sighs> I mean, I try not to, I guess I try not to go out and maybe exercise if it gets above a, above a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to some extent, uh, you kind of got to grin, grin and bear it. Right. Otherwise, it can almost kind of totally, totally take, take over your life. Right. Uh, it's not good. I'm sure in, uh, in later years, there may be repercussions. Sure. But, um, you know, it's kind of, what can you do? It's hard to have really. a perspective to yeah. uh, you know that far in. I, I, we were speaking with uh, Alex from KO yeah. about the same issue, and he rides his bike around everywhere. And he said two things. He said, first, you know, I, I'm just so into what I'm doing. I'm so passionate about it. I'm so busy. Yeah. I really don't have that much time to care about yeah. it. And secondly, you know, I can't project 40 years of the future. You know, yeah. it could be hit by a bus tomorrow yeah, yeah, sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah. it's hard to... I mean, it's one of those things that... Me personally, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a field of interest in natural health and wellness and things like that. So I try to do what I can in terms of diet and a few other methods of yeah. maybe cleaning out some of the accumulated uh, damage. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not one of these people that uh, will walk around with a mask. You know, it's just uh, it's too too much of a discomfort yeah. for yeah. me. And uh, yeah. it looks it looks kind of strange. So Yeah, I mean, so I, I guess you get similar scenarios with, you know, the, um, the reused oil, you know, and then, you know, washing fruit beforehand. And I think... I mean, you, you could go to all those preventative causes, but I think it would just it would just overtake your life. Right. You'd be spending all your time washing things and, you know, cleaning things and not eating here and not eating there. And I just think, as I said, you've almost got to just get on with it. Sadly. Yeah, it's the price you pay to be here, yeah. unfortunately. But, I mean, on the bright side, as we were talking about with everything that, that China seems to take mm-hmm. on, now they've, they've admitted the problem, they've identified it, mm-hmm. and they've committed... Uh, they've identified it and committed to a solution. So if... You know, past uh, past examples are are to be instructive. Then you know there should be some fairly robust efforts by on, on behalf of the Chinese government to actually, you know, remedy that uh, that problem. So yeah, no, I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, I I think it's I wouldn't say the government now has a lot of accountability, but um, I think increasingly they do need to think what the general general public are, 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 are considering about things. Mm-hmm. I think the uh, you know the 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 gas deal with Putin last week. I mean, it was a bit of a, it was obviously um, a, a, a big statement, but I think um, if that comes to the fore and we see a little, little less coal being burnt, then I think that can only be good. Um, now, in terms of the startup and, and tech scene, of which you are, of course, a part of, mm-hmm. um, since 2009, and we'll, we'll keep it there instead of going back to you know early 2000s mm-hmm. when you first arrived, but since Mobile Now has, has been launched and since you've been with them, mm-hmm. um, how has the you know what's the tech and startup scene here like? I mean, we everyone hears about all the stories, all the funding, all the amazing Chinese social media or you know amazing Chinese technology and startups going on. A lot of really interesting uh, foreign uh, funded and, and foreign founded startups uh, such as Mobile Now and others. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems to have a less cohesive center than you know than your Silicon Valleys and, and mm-hmm. other places around the world. Can you, you know, tell us what it was like first setting up in 2009 and what kind of community, if any, uh, exists? I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I mean, drawing parallels with, um, with the West Coast, I think, is, um, I think, I think is fair. And definitely that infrastructure isn't, is, isn't here. And I'd also say it probably isn't, uh, isn't in any other place um, in Asia as well. Mm-hmm. Singapore is often cited as being a big hub. And that's you know, reasonably OK, but d- d- doesn't have that same, same diligence or same kind of infrastructure that kind of ha- helps with that. Um, from our own perspective, I guess we didn't do too much um, funding rounds, so we didn't really have to seek a lot out of, a lot out of ourselves. Mm-hmm. A lot of the funding that came through initially was 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 friends and family, which kind of got us got us got us to to, to stage one. Thereafter, I guess we we really looked to, to I guess to move to break even, so we weren't so reliant upon funding. Um, I think there's definitely. There's definitely, I think, good funding opportunities here. Um, I think a lot of the the West Coast players have kind of um, kind of planted themselves here and on on the lookout lookout for different things. Even some of the banks, like um, Shanghai Pudong Development Bank, even even has kind of investment investment kind of kind of arms as well, which mm-hmm. are looking out looking out for those opportunities. So it's it's definitely here. It's maybe a little bit harder to to, to look for, but there's I mean there's sufficient events, there's sufficient network and opportunities where you can you can can tap into that quite easily. Right. And um, 
I think as as more and more, I guess, Chinese entities either IPO overseas or get noticed on the, on the radar, then I think more and more focus will become upon China to right. find the next X, Y, Z. Right. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit now. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For those people listening that are uh, budding entrepreneurs or aspiring mm-hmm. entrepreneurs that want to come to China and, mm-hmm. and get involved in a startup, mm-hmm. can you give us three pieces of advice for someone who's got a great idea, who's got the passion, who's got the motivation, everything, mm-hmm. um, and they want to be in China, they want to be a part of the story here, mm-hmm. what are three pieces of advice you could give them uh, to help them on their way? I think probably first and foremost, uh, and it sounds really boring, but it's, uh, it's that's unfortunately one of the, uh, one of the uh, kind of key points in terms of making sure a startup works, is looking at your business case. So looking at the viability of your business case that actually has has sense mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 can move forward. Now whether that business case is reliant upon tapping into the Chinese domestic market or whether it's just using China as a base to then go get to go globally isn't I guess isn't so important. It's really just a case of having done the maths upon that business case, work worked out worked out the plan and kind of kind of gone gone, gone from there. Right. Because um, I think you know some of there's there's some fa- fantastic out um, ideas out there, but if it hasn't been kind of fleshed through, then it tends to maybe maybe not not be so viable. Um, secondly, I'd probably say try and get to market as quickly and nimbly as one can. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's the classic, um, as we call it from a development perspective, the agile versus waterfall approach in terms, you know, don't spend six months actually perfecting something, get something, you know, workable out in two months, gauge the reaction from that and then refine it there afterwards. Right. Um, and that, I think that also helps from a, from a, from a, from a funding perspective. Um, I think probably thirdly, I mean, if, if the research has been done that China is the, is the, is the market to go into, then really need to embrace China. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of need to kind of get out, get involved, and, and live and breathe China to kind of, uh, to kind of get a feeling of what, of what is going on. Right. Okay. Uh, now, we're nearing the end of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for uh, giving us the time today. I know you're incredibly busy. No problem. Uh, just a few more uh, fun, quick-fire questions. So we all need to release some stress here in, in Shanghai at the end of a work week. Or even on a beautiful uh, Monday like it is today. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. What uh, What's your favorite bar in uh, in Shanghai? Where Where um, for better for worse, where we're literally probably about two hundred meters from Yongkanglu. Mm-hmm. So that makes it uh, makes which it is a notorious <laughs> bar street here in Shanghai. Which um, it was, it was also, I guess, maybe part of the part of the attraction for moving to that area when we moved about two years ago. It's been it's been it's been a very good location. Which interestingly wasn't a bar street uh, two or three years ago, and, yeah. and now is. As so is we've, so many we've, we've kind of seen that seen that grow over, um, over over the past couple of years since we've been there. So mm. there's. There's no manner of bars down there that we can we can pop down to. We have quite a quite a large French contingent within our organisation. Ah. Um, so um, Cafe de Stagiaire is often is often the first point to call call, call along there. Okay. Um, it's, it's it's quite it's quite weird being in being in Shanghai and almost going to a bar and, and potentially ordering French. You can almost have that whole kind of French ecosystem right. resolving within you know. Not France, right? Which is, uh, which I think is good. I think, I think, I think, I think it, it adds character to the city exactly. for sure. And exactly. there is a huge French population. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> speaking of which, what about favorite restaurant in the city? Um, I'd probably say there's a there's a I mean Hunanese. Uh, there's a very good Hunanese um, just next to um, Doctor Beer. Mm-hmm. On uh, Dongguolu, mm-hmm. whose name I just forget at the moment, but that's normally the normally the fir- uh, sorry Guyi. That's probably our, no, our our first point of call for uh, okay. for taking any visitors there, right. or even wanting to go to go ourselves. The sort of place you, you you leave and your lips are still tingling, uh, but the food is <laughs> fantastic. Uh, okay, and what about you know weekends here? If you're trying not to go down to the bar, if you're trying to be healthy, stay mm-hmm. fit. Uh, what's a way? You know, in Shanghai, it's such a big city. You can sometimes feel trapped in it. Yeah. What are some you know? What's the thing you do on the weekend if you have the time? If you if you can get away from the office to relax, what do you I, do? I, I, ironically, I'd probably have the same ailments as your as your your, your previous podcast interview, Alex. And that's uh, yeah, heading out on a bike at the weekend is, is is a great thing to do. Right. Or even even early morning before work, you can kind of you can um, you can be out in countryside within about you know half an hour, forty five minutes of Shanghai, and it gives you a completely different perspective of what's going on. Okay. And it really kind of uh, helps to helps to clear the clear the head. Right. Cool. So final question, uh, uh, Liam. Um, so many people come to China and, and it's kind of a bit discombobulating at first. You're kind of getting your footing, trying to understand how things work mm-hmm. here. 
<clears throat> in relation to uh, the work you've been doing over the past several years, what's the best piece of advice throughout your, you know, throughout your career or regard since you've been here in China, what's the best pe- piece of advice that you've received that you've felt, you know, was really inspiring, usable, you know, something that h- helped guide you through some of the, the you know, the, maybe perhaps the harder times or helped overcome some obstacles that you might have encountered here? I think um I think you have to do something you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um I think day in day out, day out if you're if you're not doing something that you enjoy that um that really motivates you then it's not going to get you through. Right. Um if you if you find an area or perspective or an angle that's something that really does motivate you then uh, that's, that's that's key to to both personal success and I think also also corporate success as well. Absolutely. I totally agree. So that's up at uh, that's us at the end of the show in terms of mobile now. Uh, just to wrap up, you know, where are you guys right now in terms of your status? What are you looking to the future for? Kind of uh, any expansion plans, anything like that to speak of? And we've we've had a we've had a very busy um, a bi- very busy first start to the year, a lot busier than we we anticipated. I think typically in China you do have a bit of a cyclical approach around Chinese New Year, where there's things to kind of t- tend to t- tail off for a, for a little bit of time, which makes it. Um, I wouldn't say tricky, but uh, something that business needs to bear in mind when they're planning. Right. Um, but for us, we've had a, we have a very good quarter one, quarter two. We've been doing a lot more, um, a lot more responsive and and WeChat work. Um, we had a big launch for for Michael Kors for their um, Get Set experience down at Hongqiao a week a week or two ago. So we're really seeing a lot of momentum. Um, we're obviously aiming for that to for that for that for that, for that to grow. Um, as we see more and more projects come to the fore, we do expect to expect to potentially grow our, grow our teams. Um, Beijing would probably be a natural place to place to grow to. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a slightly different <coughs> dynamic between Shanghai and Beijing from a from I guess from a corporate perspective and f- in terms of which entities are, ba- are based there. But from a China expansion perspective, Beijing would probably be the uh, the most natural uh, next, next step. Cool. Well, Liam, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Uh, it's been a privilege to be able to speak to you and get some insight onto what your experience has been in China. Uh, and I hope our listeners have found it uh, interesting. Um, if they want to get in touch with uh, you or Mobile Now, is there somewhere where they can find you guys? Absolutely, no. I've been very, very good to join to join today. Um, either check us, check us, check our, our website out in terms of mobilenowgroup.com. Um, then Liam at mobilenowgroup.com is my uh, is my email address. Cool. And any. Uh, if there's any people out there that are avid Chinese social media or other social media followers, do you guys have a presence on any of those platforms? We have a, we have our own uh, WeChat channel. We also have our own Weibo accounts. Plus, we also have the the, the Western uh, Western SNSs as well. Right. So, so just Google Mobile Now Group, and you'll you'll find all the outlets. They're all yeah, all our, all our outlets are um, should be are, are accessible from our website too. Cool. And uh, you can find us, our dear listeners, at Tech in Shanghai. Um, on Twitter, um, and of course up on iTunes, Tech in Shanghai. This is episode two, and we hope there'll be plenty more to come. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.